0: Welcome to the Regista Room, the podcast where soccer goes off-field. Here's your host, Paul Varian.
1: Yes, we're back. Paul Varian here in the Regista Room for the first time in this new year, 2023. Glad to have you with us. And I hope you had a good holiday season with family and friends. Obviously, firmly in the rearview mirror now. And you're having a great start to 2023. My Christmas and New Year was certainly better than last year when I was keeled over with the Omicron virus. Yes, i had gamely held out against COVID-19 for nearly two years, but Omicron got me last year over Christmas period, washed away any hopes I had of celebrating the holiday season with family and friends last year. So this year was sensational, simply because I was virus free and permitted to spend some good time drinking fine wine with great people. But that's all over now. We're into the hard yards of 2023. And in this latest episode of the Regista Room, we're going off field in soccer with the theme of volunteerism. Yes, that's right, the lifeblood of amateur sport that seems to be disappearing faster than a Kilimanjaro ice glacier. Obviously, this is an important topic. I don't need to tell you how important volunteers are to amateur soccer and amateur sport at large. But what I constantly find a total head-scratcher is that so few people seem to have anything to say on the issue apart from complaining about how no one wants to volunteer anymore. So where's the innovation? Where's the new ideas? The solutions that usually evolve, albeit organically or even sometimes chaotically, over time to deal with systemic problems like this. As a soccer system, we simply don't seem to have any ideas. And that is more troubling to me than the problem itself. So, I did what I always do when we have an unanswerable question here in the register room. I asked Twitter because Twitter always has the answers and they're never wrong, right? Like those fine people at the Flat Earth Society who claim to have members of their society from all around the globe. No, I'm not joking. Their Facebook page actually says that. Anyway, I asked the Twitterverse, what? the one thing is we can do to attract more sport volunteers. And here's what I got back, nothing. That's right, total crickets. What a way to bluntly underscore the reality that people seem completely out of ideas on this one. The challenges around volunteerism have been gnashing the teeth of sport organizations since I've been involved in amateur sport, which is now almost 20 years, and doubtless for years before. No question sport volunteerism has changed as society and how it behaves has also changed. People don't feel the sense of civic responsibility to volunteer like previous generations did, And this fundamental shift in the mindsets and behaviours of people from the baby boomer generation compared to millennials and now Zedders is really well explained in Sarah Sladek's excellent book on not for profit association management called The End of Membership as we know it. It's well worth the read if you haven't already picked it up. The family dynamic has also changed. Dual income households have become the norm. People don't have time to invest with their kids in the evenings like they used to, but they have more money to pay for their activities instead. So people will pay a bit more to get out of volunteer responsibilities. But as one club said to me, we need people's time far more than we need their money. But this dirt of volunteers is not just about time. Amateur sport has become so much more complex and with the greater scrutiny and oversight that occurs in youth sports these days, coaching a kid's soccer team comes with a lot more responsibility and red tape. Now, don't get me wrong. The changes the system has made to, you, to make youth sports safer and more respectful are good changes and are actually somewhat overdue. But the cost we pay for it is that volunteering isn't the easy, carefree pastime that it used to be. In response to this, many are simply throwing their hands in the air in despair and calling the volunteer model broken and outdated. But is that really the case? Are people not volunteering anymore? Are we just not moving the volunteer model with the times? Surely there must be ways around the issues of people not stepping up with their time like they used to. Quite honestly, we have to try i ran one of the biggest amateur soccer clubs on the continent of north america with one of the biggest staff teams at my disposal do you think we had a hope in hell of running our programs without volunteers absolutely not we needed over 800 volunteer coaches every summer for a start and that's before the conveners for the leagues the event volunteers team managers you name it regardless of size all amateur soccer clubs are still wholly dependent on volunteers. And in spite of the professionalization of some elements of these organizations, I can't see how this is ever gonna change if sport hopes to remain in financial reach of community. Bottom line, we have to find a way to make sport volunteerism work. And I'm not convinced suddenly people don't wanna volunteer. I think we just haven't kept up with the times and how different and transformational the millennial and Generation Z generations are with respect to how community acts and operates. So I started to tackle this issue by putting together an e-tutorial on 21st century sport volunteerism, which you can rent at any time, of course, at capituslearning.com. Now this tutorial takes a fresh look at the realities of trends in volunteerism, particularly with respect to younger millennial or Generation Z volunteers. The tutorial shows that these generations think differently and have different expectations to their predecessor Generation X and Baby Boomer groups, as Sladek notes in her book. As you would expect, the tutorial shows that these younger groups have different expectations and values in volunteerism and want to participate in different ways and on different terms. Yet how amateur sport manages volunteerism, particularly in terms of how we go look for volunteers, is largely unchanged from how we did it in 1978. So I decided to set the register room to work to do what it's been set up to do. Find real world examples of where amateur soccer or sport is doing things differently and better in the real world and burn down the stereotypes that problems can't be overcome. I won't lie, this one was a challenge. A challenge to find case study material on sport volunteerism that showed anything new. But there are innovators out there. And on this episode, you're gonna hear from a couple. We're going to hear from a small soccer club in a small town in British Columbia, Canada, who are defining their club by their approach to volunteers. Then we're going to switch gears and hear from a multi-sport games organisation that needs over 6,000 volunteers just to run their event and had to find them last year. Don't miss these interviews coming up next. So put the kettle on, get comfortable. Modern sport volunteerism is about to get real and move from moaning to solutions. When we return on the register Room, where amateur soccer goes off-field. Are you an amateur sport leader looking for quality professional development? If so, your search is over. Introducing Capitalist Consulting's new sport business tutorial series. We'll teach you what you need to do to run your club better. These tutorials target the key areas of sport business. Governance, risk, planning, marketing, technical oversight sponsorship and modern volunteerism access and enjoy these tutorials when you want and where you want go to capitaslearning.com
0: and get learning with me today do you have a story to tell the regista room is built on real world stories and experiences from amateur soccer clubs everywhere that we can explore discuss and learn from have you innovated a solution to a problem, challenged the norm, tried something different, thought outside the box, or taken a risk, and it's paid off? If so, we want to hear from you on the Regista Room. Contact us today with your story at content at registaroom.com And let's better the game with our shared soccer experiences.
1: Welcome back to the register room where amateur soccer goes off field and off field on this episode means volunteers. Where have they gone? Why don't they want to volunteer anymore? And most importantly, what can we do about it? Well, let's find out with our first guest. Pemberton Youth Soccer Association is a youth soccer club located in the picturesque town of Pemberton, just north of the world famous Whistler Ski Resort in British Columbia in Western Canada. Pemberton has a population of just under 4,000 people but it's rapidly growing as young families flock to it after the construction of the Sea Sea to Sky Highway for the Vancouver 2010 Olympics that made it highly accessible to Vancouver and BC's Lower Mainland at large. Now although the association is growing Pemberton Youth Soccer is wholly dependent on volunteers particularly for coaching but instead of worrying about its dependency on others to give up their free time to make the organization work Pemberton Youth Soccer has embraced it and made it central to their identity and culture. Not only do they believe in volunteerism and their volunteers, they take it a step further and promote why volunteering isn't just something you should begrudgingly do, but actively seek out for your own benefit. I caught up with Association President Robbie Stevens to explain more. Robbie Stevens, President of Pemberton Youth Soccer Association. Welcome to the Register Room and thanks for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. Have you traditionally had a difficulty getting volunteers
2: or is this kind of come easily to you? You know, but, uh, it's it's an ongoing challenge, right? So if we, if we take a step back, Pemberton Soccer Club this year will be 32 years old. Um, so it's the, one of the longest standing kids sports community organizations um, in the Valley. And, uh, and along the way, there's been lots of changes and evolutions as it's sort of reinvented itself. Um, our our programming essentially revolves around what you would call grassroots soccer. So we we start kids in at U6, and uh, by the time they get to U13, they actually move up into the Sea to Sky program, which is administered by Whistler. So essentially, the, the soccer career of a young player in Pemberton is about six years. And so you can see that there's a bit of a, you know, there's a, a life cycle there in terms of parents and uh, volunteers being involved on the field. Um, and it's a constant, uh, call it game of, of refresh and uh, hopefully recycle. If we can get somebody in in that, that first U6 experience and then have them stick all the way through with it through to their player graduating out of U12. Um, Then we've gotten really good um, sort of value out of that parent and engagement uh, in the community. So it's an ongoing piece. And I think in in any organization, um, you know, there's that constant game of succession planning that happens succession planning doesn't happen by accident right it's it's Mm -hmm. a a constant um piece of it and so we've actually got a um a prompt in our board meetings just to to talk about that and and basically look around uh towards the end of the season and and start to rub elbows with the coaches and figure out who who else we can approach uh, within the community um to continue to sort of add um people into the mix for The next
1: season in terms of coaching. But you actually go as far as to get the coaches to to actively go out and look for volunteers?
2: Well, it's, you know, we have a great um, lead coach for our U6 program, and she was actually the founder of the Pemberton Youth Soccer Club many, many years ago. And um, so she's taken a leadership role at U6. And so when the players are coming out of U6, I, I speak with her at the end of every season and go, OK, who, who are the leaders within this parent yeah. group that are going to help graduate these kids into U7 and, and be willing to take the reins? So she's willing to tap them and then we can have a conversation with them to grow them up and, and nurture those seeds.
1: Robbie, it sounds like you you're not just waiting for volunteers to turn up with a volunteer now button on your website and, and expect him to click through. And just present themselves. You you actually proactive to go out and and look for them and identify them through your club. Yeah, yeah. And, and how is that working for you? I mean, are you finding success in that way? Do you find yourselves having big problems with volunteer shortages, or are you able to actually source, particularly the coaches, you know, volunteers that way uh, effectively? Yeah, you know, every season's different, Paul. I th- I think.
2: You know there's two words of wisdom that were instilled in me early on from my working career one of them is hope's not a plan um and the second piece is people can't say yes if you don't ask you know every season we we do come up against some age group that keeps me up at night um but slowly but surely and and through some patience and and the likes we we manage to sort of percolate those people up and let them know that, hey, there's there's resources in place um, to, to help support you. You know, volunteers, as we've summed it up, uh, you know, our club depends on about 1700 hours of volunteer time every year to make the club work. Um, and, and so if everybody does their part, it, it turns into an amazing piece. And so it's just about creating different opportunities to in, engage with people. Help. The, the hardest season for anybody generally speaking is the first one um and then we can generally if we do a good job as an organization get them hooked and uh and then we get really good um sort of centrifugal force almost going and are able to keep the momentum going so um yeah it's a bit, it's a big piece of it for sure and it, it requires constant monitoring and, and energy going into it
1: Tell me, Robbie, about what you've done to promote and really proactively show the value of volunteering to a volunteer. We went a step further
2: this year that you and I sort of touched base on back and forth a little bit. Was sort of leaning into the individual stories uh, of the volunteers who have been there over the years and and trying to understand, um, you know, as in the world of Simon Sinek is is what is the why behind that individual's volunteerism and trying to sort of see and understand and also just give a platform to people to be able to share with us and then with others, um, you know, why they volunteer and and what they get out of it. And um, I think often, one person's story is many persons stories so to speak and um, and so that kind of open sharing platform provides an opportunity for for other folks to be able to read into it and to relate to it and and see that you know that may also be their calling
1: but you've actually gone out and asked volunteers what their experience was like or you've actually not just waited for them to tell you you've actually gone out and asked them right
2: yeah that's that's right paul so we we um we, through sort of a creative idea, uh, put some money aside from the board this year um, and hired a, uh, a writer who is um, sort of more from a PR and marketing background to take on the task of capturing the interview with, uh, with a set number of volunteers to be able to Uh, She's actually just interviewed them to sort of listen to their story and how they got involved with Pemberton Youth Soccer and um, what it then has meant to them um, and and how they see it um, having an impact on the community and the like. So she was able to sort of to to really set up a conversation much like we're doing right now and, and be able to tease out the individual human stories behind the volunteer efforts
1: so when you, I mean, and this is just fantastic, but I'm just curious, uh, there's probably people listening saying, well, we don't have the money for that and, you know, we, we just can't afford it. But clearly your board decided to make the money available and there's never no money available. It's just a question of where you prioritize it, right? So, Correct. So how did you get your board or was it a hard job to get your board to understand that we now need to start spending money on volunteer development, not just assuming it's going to happen?
2: The piece that I think the board jumped on really early was, you know, it was more about, you know, what's what's the cost of not doing something like this as opposed to the cost of doing it, right? It, you know, as a round number, let's use $1,000. You know, we would eat up a lot of paid coaching hours and everything else really quickly if we didn't sort of make that investment in, in our people who are our frontline people um, that are, that is going to, that you know, going to be able to extract stories that are going to add value to um, everything that we do and say in in, in the community as an organization. So I, I think you know, it quickly became very clear from the board standpoint. And I think as a precursor to that, our our board is very clear on the value of the coaches and the and the, the service. That they provide to us in that volunteer level meaning if the coaches have a great experience on the field so will the kids so will the parents and the the whole program starts to create its own pulse and um and personality based on you know the um the takeaway from the coaches so if we can add value to that
1: coach recipe then i I
2: think we've got a win-win for everybody involved
1: Robbie, there's a lot of talk coming out of the pandemic about volunteerism changing and coaches not coming back, and particularly match officials not coming back. And we discussed that on the last episode of this podcast. But are you are you seeing a change in volunteerism? And what advice would you have for clubs to to tackle the whole issue of what I'm calling modern volunteerism? Is it because I wonder whether sometimes whether we're just trying to apply the same rules to the game that we did in 1975? Are you seeing differences in how we need to approach volunteers? And is it a matter of they're there, you just have to engage them differently? Or are we seriously, in your opinion, facing a a crisis that people just don't want to give their time up anymore? The
2: it's changing. Certainly there's a demographic change afoot, Um, you know, as, as the younger generation starts to move into position to have to do that. I think, you know, from an organization standpoint, We understand or have taken the position that, you know, our most valuable asset or resources as um, adults is our time. The the culture that we're trying to create within our organization is such that we value the fact that you're putting your time into this and make people feel valued for their commitment. And I think that's the, the big piece of it is trying to instill in folks that we appreciate their commitment to the cause or, or to the sport, to the kids, and um, and put that energy level out from a governance standpoint so that we can um, have that expectation. Because there was a time when, you know, if, if you went around the room and asked people why they're here, it's probably because, of, well, nobody else is doing it, so I have to do it. You know, the, if, if that's the reason for being there, we need to make a shift in, in terms of giving people the opportunity to make a difference and feel like they're investing in community and creating relationships and, and those types of things. We live in a small town so we're we're privy to a first name basis with a lot of people. Um but we've we've definitely had to um you know just get proactive in it and um and at the same time be cognizant that it, it is going to be changing and so we just need to sort of stay in stride with it as best we can um so that, that that's probably the big thing that we've done the other uh, another piece of just sort of investment that we've made there one is in in coach education and just giving people opportunities to um to get educated um whether it's coaching courses or the likes and and putting that professional development out there um as an opportunity um to to make them better at their job um and then the second piece is just acknowledgement and thanks in terms of you know a, a a local restaurant gift card with a thank you note acknowledging their effort and commitment that's gone into the season goes a long way just in terms of being able to say thank you for for everything you've done because they don't you know they're not getting paid in in dollars but they can go in and enjoy just um a, a cup of coffee or a hamburger at a, at a local place on behalf of the club and and honoring the time that they've invested for us
1: with the kids so robin my final question and you sort of mentioned you know recognition and reward there um there are some people that say that the age of just getting people to do something for nothing is gone and that you have to financially incentivized in some way and the common way that it's done and this is done routinely in other sports but not so much soccer but in in, in low particip- participation sports it's quite common is if you if you volunteer you get a discount on your kid's registration fee uh if you don't volunteer you get charged extra so the, the, you're basically either incentivized or penalized financially for not getting involved. Some people believe that's basically throwing the whole idea of volunteerism out the window because you're now creating financial incentive or punishment. Other people feel that's the reality of today. Well, what do you think about that sort of argument?
2: Yeah, I've I've definitely seen different organizations um, conduct themselves differently based on you know, the, the culture of people involved. We we do credit back at the end of the season um coaches registration fees for their players if if they take the lead and and do it as an acknowledgement of thank you as opposed to doing it up front Um, and you know we we also do ask our parents um at the beginning of each season to do a volunteer night you know so every parent in the group is expected to do a volunteer night to help with equipment um, and all the other things that go around that that simply allows the volunteer coach to focus on coaching and and they don't have to run around and um, and sort pennies at the end of the night and the likes. Um, it's it's an honor system for us and you know we sort of express it at the beginning and and expect everybody to be able to to fall in line with it and manage the exceptions around it. Um, i it's a i think it's in in some ways, Paul, to back to your question, it's really a question of of culture. Um, I'm a big believer in the carrot versus the stick, um, and if you can put the carrots out there and create the engagements and you know motivate the people um, for the right reasons, then that's a good thing. And and unfortunately, probably in some bigger centers where there's a bit more anonymity and the likes. Uh, it, it becomes more of a, an administrative uh, chess match to be able to keep track of all those things. So I, I can definitely see it go both ways. Um, pushing on that a little bit, I think you know the, there's a, a TED talk from probably a decade ago now that I remember watching at a sales conference um, about how to create a movement by a guy by the name of Drew Sivers.
1: Seen and, it? Um, That's fantastic. Is this the one on the rock
2: concert where they start? Yeah, the- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of putting that on our uh, beginning of season coaches emails to all our coaches. But I, I definitely try and push the message that you know even at the coach level or you know at the board level, it's it's about you know you have to embrace those first followers in order to be able to get the momentum going um uh, within the greater piece, and i think um, that goes a long way early on if you can if you can create the energy around uh the group um it gets to be infectious and, and people will um will jump on it so that's that's always been a, a good little reference point for us
1: look robbie fantastic i'm looking at you there with those beautiful pine trees behind you the blue skies We'd all love to be up there with in Pemberton and maybe up there in February going for a ski. It's a beautiful part of the world. And, uh, and I would say that the community there is lucky to have you leading that sports club. Uh, tremendous um, comments and congratulations on what you're doing. And uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Register room today.
2: Thank you, Paul. Thanks for the opportunity to share and um, keep doing what you're doing. You're putting some great stuff out there. So uh, I look forward to those weekly email updates and and, uh, exposing ourselves to some new thinking.
3: Imagine not having the chance to play sports as a kid. Imagine not having those memories, those experiences. Imagine your childhood without them.
0: If I wasn't able to play, I would miss my friends. I will miss being active and the chance of being competitive. Basketball has taught me how to work as a team, how to co- communicate, and how to adapt to any situation. My goal it is to play for Team Canada and make it to the WNBA. The skills kids learn
3: through sports are carried with them throughout their lives. But all across Canada, kids are being left on the sidelines because they don't have the resources to play. We owe all kids a chance to experience everything that sport has to offer. Help unleash the full potential in every child. Visit kidsport.ca so all kids can play.
1: How does your amateur sport organization measure up post-pandemic? Need to know? Capitalist Consulting is proud to bring you the Canadian amateur sport health check. The first comprehensive study of the Canadian amateur sport industry at community level, examining how it was before the pandemic and how it looks now. Built on data from hundreds of organizations, just like yours, this report helps you measure your organization's recovery from the pandemic against others across the country. Participation rates, volunteer levels, sponsorship valuations, program fees and costs, and staff salary levels that give you market rates for sport job positions you simply can't find anywhere else. It's all here and much more. The Canadian Amateur Sport Health Check. Get your copy today at capitalistlearning.com. For a second interview we're going to step outside the world of amateur soccer and take a look at how sport volunteerism is changing if at all when it comes to large multi-sport games and major events. These events are reliant on thousands of volunteers to help with anything from event management to crowd ushering or driving athletes or dignitaries around to competition events. Major world sport events such as Olympic Games require literally tens of thousands of volunteers and the volunteer component of events of this size are entire functional departments of the event's organizing committee. Last summer in 2022, the Canada Games were held in Niagara, Ontario. These multi-sport athletic games are a top performance event for many of Canada's top young athletes who come from every province and territory of Canada to compete. The event is large and multidisciplinary, involving several competition venues located in different locations. The Canada Games requires approximately 6,000 event volunteers who are largely sourced locally from the host communities involved. Each Canada Games is largely developed and run by a local host organizing committee, but the overall Canada Games event properties are managed by the Canada Games Council. As Vice President of Sport and Games for Canada Games Council, Aaron Bruce has oversight for the sourcing and management of volunteers for all Canada Games events And this was the case for the recent Canada Games in Niagara. I caught up with him to discuss whether or not the challenges that amateur soccer is experiencing sourcing volunteers has also extended to large, high-profile games events as well. Have a listen. Aaron Bruce, Vice President of Sport and Games at the Canada Games Council. Thank you so much for joining me in the register room today. Well, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, Aaron, firstly, congratulations on what was, I think, a hugely successful Canada Games uh, this summer in Niagara in Ontario, Canada. It's really great to have you on after running such a big event because obviously putting these events on requires moving an enormous number of volunteers to make it happen. How many volunteers did you need, Aaron, to run these games top to bottom?
4: Yeah, so a Canada Games has anywhere between four and 6,000 volunteers, um, and it, it – uh, Covid certainly played a role in the numbers for the twenty twenty two Canada summer games. so those games uh we were right around the four thousand volunteer mark. now that includes individuals who would be have volunteered for a couple of years on planning committees as well as individuals who uh, you know signed up to volunteer during the games and committed their their you know typically it's around thirty hours over the eighteen days so when we put all that together, uh, yeah, it's about so 2022 had about 4,000. Um, historically, it's probably a little higher than that, upwards around the the 5,000, and we've had some games even right up around 6,000 volunteers.
1: How did you go about gathering that many people?
4: Yeah, so I mean it's multifaceted. So um, and you're right, it's it's not a single person. So kind of how the structure works is. Um, so I work for the Canada Games Council based in Ottawa and I've got uh, a volunteer expert with me, someone who's worked multiple games and understands the space. And then the local organizing committee will have a staff team, three to five employees that are dedicated to recruiting, assigning, scheduling, screening uh, volunteers. And, and so it does start with a professional staff who have experience in volunteer recruitment and management. Um, And and from there, it is, I mean, it's it's kind of like anything else when you're doing a big project. It's really putting your project plan in place, setting your milestones, um, and then it's hitting the ground. Um, You know, to recruit this many volunteers, there's the digital approach. So there would be, um, you know, advertising of, you know, click here to volunteer for the games. But there would also be a lot of and probably more predominantly getting out to local events, getting out to the farmers markets, getting out to the festivals and the other community celebrations and setting up a booth and talking to people and you know and getting them to kind of sign up to volunteer in those types of environments. And that was probably one of the biggest challenges with 2022 is just during COVID, the inability to really get out to those community events because those community events weren't happening. Um so it did require a lot more um, digital presence, I guess, and, and getting out there in the digital space to uh, make sure people were aware the games were coming and that there were volunteer opportunities.
1: But it sounds like, Aaron, you, you've you had to go look for these people because, I mean, I, I get the sense sometimes that, you know, that we, we tend to sort of wait for volunteers to come to us, at least in routine sport. But there was a big campaign you undertook to, to find these people. You went out literally into community events to find them
4: right yeah exactly yeah there's i mean there's some organic you know some people are just in the know and want to be involved but the vast majority of people you got to go to them you, you got to get out um you got to tell them you know you got to have a value proposition why, why do they want to be involved and um and and a lot of the times you know that is around uh you know community pride community spirit um you know the community the games you know the canada games are you know from an operation standpoint a 35 million dollar event that is going to put a national spotlight on your community and and you got to sell that to your community that if if you want to be successful and and really, you know, knock it out of the park, if you will, from an operation standpoint. You need people to step up and help out, and and so there's definitely a value proposition that uh, you need to engage in the community with. So, I mean, even things, you know, going to festivals, going to community events, um, making connections with community groups, right? So, you know, are you going to the Lions Club and the Kiwanis and the Legion, and and you know, presenting to those groups so that they can activate their networks. Um, you know, that word of mouth and that partnerships is really important in, um, you know, in, in some communities. I mean, you know, Niagara, where we just hosted the games, I mean, the Niagara region, I, you know, I don't know exactly, but let's just say it's about 300,000 people, right? So we're, we're trying to recruit, you know, 5,000 people in an area of 300,000. That doesn't sound too bad. But when the games go to Whitehorse Yukon, and we need 5,000 people of a population of Thirty thousand people. It's a different story, and you really need to get into the nooks and crannies and find people. and um and the vast majority aren't aren't just lining up right and coming to you you're you're going and finding them and um and and explaining why you know why you need them to step up and and why for them there's value in
1: stepping up and being part of this community event. Do you think we need to be doing a better job routinely to tackle this problem around volunteers and particularly with millennials and you know, demographics who are m- more used to doing things on their terms, they don't have this sense of duty that uh, previous generations did. I think
4: the idea that the parents are always going to be the volunteers, and and you know, I can think back, I, I grew up playing hockey, and in, in minor hockey, when I was growing up, you know, you had the, um, you had the, the hockey mothers association, which was, you know, they had an, an a whole group that just was the parents who volunteered and they sold the, you know, they worked the canteen and sold the 50-50 50, 50 tickets and, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, there's a huge shift and, and, you know, I, I was looking at the numbers before jumping on here. Um, you know, and if I look at the parent age group, you know, you, so you think that, um, you know let's just say the 35 to 44 year old person and, and you maybe want to dip a bit lower let's say the 25 to 40 but they they only make up you know if i take 35 to 44 that only makes up about 13 percent of our volunteer pool really yeah um where the most of our volunteers come from is in the kind of 45 to 65 year old. now do you have parents in that group certainly you do but you know what you also have in that group you have grandparents in that you group do. um You have people who kids, maybe they used to be involved and now they've gone off to university or their own lives. And they so, I I mean, I think there's a way to tap into the broader community. I think one of the challenges and if I think about kind of one of my own experiences or my parents' experiences, when you bring the parents in, you know, when the kid starts, you know, Timbit soccer or Timbit hockey or whatever it might be, and then you kind of ride that parent as a volunteer up until their kids are out of the system a lot of them leave burnt out they're not interested in being involved anymore um and you've also used their kid
1: right their investments in their kid not exactly
4: not exactly yeah i mean the other thing to to consider is your your general cohort of pool volunteers if you think about you know generally speaking let's just say young to middle-aged parents it's people who have generally the least amount of disposable time and the least amount of disposable income. And you're asking them to be your primary volunteer uh, to to ensure your organization can can run. And so I think there is something in there of looking outside of that demographic. What we ask of volunteers today, too, and, and, and rightfully so, but we look at volunteer screening, even, you know, you look yeah. at SafeSport, you look at um, you know, just vulnerable sectors and 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 you you think about all of what we ask you know we want you to volunteer, but you need to do all of these things. And it's rightfully so you need to do them. But what are they getting back? Yeah. right? I, I mean, I think the days of volunteerism as a one way you donate your time to us is it, I think that's a big challenge. I think there needs to be what are what are you getting out of that volunteerism? Is it? professional development so if it is okay well what is that professional development that you're offering as an organization um and you need to put resources towards that and you need to you know you think of um you know and and i know paul you said you do a lot of work in governance and with boards and we think about the the need to educate orientate um and really have board of directors understand their roles and 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 but we need to do that even at a, at a lower level. It's not just boards who, who need that. It It's everybody who's getting involved in an organization. And, and I think when you get into that type of relationship, someone then is coming to you to say, you know, I don't really know anything about soccer, but I would like to volunteer because I hear, if I volunteer with you, I'm going to get some really great professional development. Maybe that professional development's in event management and I'm interested in that. Maybe that professional development is in, working with children. And that's, you know, I, I'm really interested in that. And and so I think there needs to be that, and I, and I said kind of off the top, that value proposition. Yeah, uh, and I, I think the days of it being a one-way street are, are it'll be a challenge to continue in that model, I
1: no, think. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think there was a Deloitte um, report that came out a couple of years ago, a few years ago, which said that 78% of millennials who volunteer, the most important thing for them is to know that they're making a difference. So, you know, you've got to show that they're making a difference. But to your point, Aaron, you've got to bring that out, right? You can't just let them find it for themselves. You've got to, I hate the the term selling this because it sounds kind of snake oil salesman, but you really, you you put it well talking about the value proposition is what what are you going to get out of this? Why is this worth your time? Because people are much more discerning with their time. So, did you find um, coming out of COVID or um, even with the, the, the difficulties we've had this year with? Cost of living, and inflation, and all this sort of thing. Did you find any difficulties in in recruiting volunteers that you haven't experienced at previous games events? yeah,
4: for sure. um and and I think it was multifaceted. you know, about twenty, well, more than twenty, you know, almost about twenty little over twenty percent, twenty two percent of our volunteers are senior citizens, yeah, generally speaking. Um, and and a lot of those people weren't weren't comfortable yet getting involved in a big event, being around a lot of people. Certainly in and the size, you know, where you'd have indoor spaces, and so that was noticed for sure. That was something that was a challenge from a recruitment standpoint, recognizing that there was a demographic that was more hesitant uh, to get involved than in historical games. But there was a lot of people who signed up to volunteer, and then in the end actually withdrew withdrew their name because they got a new job and they couldn't commit to more anymore. They were moving to a different place. And, and so I think some of that labor market, you know, even the, the idea, the work from home, right. There were some people who, you know, I still work for the same company, but I've, I've moved from St. Catharines to Regina and I work out of there now kind of thing. Cause that was, and so I think there was a lot of that and which we hadn't dealt with in the same way um, past games. For sure. So our our numbers, you know, it's an interesting learning opportunity too. Our numbers were lower. Um, they were probably a bit lower than we would have liked. But the interesting learning is we also learned where we can be lean and still get the job done. Um, and so so for future games, it does help us better define, you know, you know, in in role X, do we really need ten volunteers or can we actually do it with eight? I think volunteerism in general has been a bit of a slow-moving train that COVID sped the train up, and and I think you know we've there's been the writing on the wall for a bit that that volunteerism wasn't what it used to be, um, but it was happening so slowly that we were all kind of still getting by, and I, I think COVID just just ramped that up. We we create volunteer programs and volunteer roles and responsibilities and expectations we tend to do it in a bit of a cookie cutter fashion, right? So we say we need a volunteer, we need them at this time, we need them for this long. One of the things that I think we need to look at in what we're learning is sometimes it, it needs to be a little more case by case because, you know, to say all volunteer shifts are going to be four hours and we need them for 12 hours, so we're going to have three volunteers for that day. I mean, it's it's the only way you can plan, but in reality... You might be leaving people on the table who said, I'd love to volunteer, but I can only give you two hours a day. I can't yeah. give you four. Um, or other people who say, you know what, can I just show up in the morning and stay there all day? I've, you know, I've taken the time off. I want to be there all day, every day to be part of this. And and I think adapting more to the needs of the individuals who are coming to volunteer will also help better streamline, um, or maybe not streamline, but but just put people Put organizations in a better capacity to meet their needs, just not in a way that is so structured. and yeah. And it doesn't mean you don't need the structure. It just means it needs to be adaptable, I think.
1: Well, that's a really good point. And the biggest area we're seeing problems with volunteerism is in coaching. And of course, coaching is extremely rigid. We want you to coach for twelve weeks in succession on these days a week without fail. And like, you know we most people can't do that. and and that's probably one of the one of the one of the problems we have. But the old idea that you just give something for nothing, the system seems to be, I won't say giving up on it, but well, I will. There seems to be this notion that this isn't working anymore. We need to just find a way to provide more material um, reward. Um, Do you think that's the case or do you just think that we're just, as you said, we're not moving the volunteer experience to 2022 and beyond to capture how people will give their time anymore?
4: You mentioned the idea. You know, people want to get involved because they know they're making a difference. Um, we just have to tell the story. I mean, I I, I hate to always say stuff. You know, things. that's a PR issue, and and but it is part of it is just communications. How do we communicate with the public? What are you know why we need volunteers and and what the value of of volunteering is within these organizations? You know, I I still think the reality holds that you know, we wouldn't be able to operate sport at a local provincial or, or for that matter, even national level, heck, international level yeah. without volunteers. There, there's just, you know, there, there is no plan B to just say, well, we're just going to make it all staff. I mean, the pretty we'll sure the Olympics, with that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Like I think the Olympic games has like 30,000 volunteers or something like that. And, you know, so you're going to pay them all of a sudden, you yeah, know, it's not going to happen. Um, I, I think there's a history of working in silos, both as organizations, you know, so soccer, working in silos from basketball and et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's also a history of sport working in a silo from other sectors. And yeah. and I think there's, uh, I think in forming partnerships and branching out, you know, most communities have a volunteer organization a volunteer association you know a nonprofit that its sole responsibility is to you know drum up volunteer in in their community you know are we making the proper connections with those are we making the proper connections with education with other you know sports not the only organization that requires volunteers um i just don't know if we've always done a great job of forming those networks where we can work together uh, to to solve you know volunteer needs we have across society not not just in sport i I think there's there's something
1: there as well i think Aaron bruce vice president of sport and games at canada
0: games council thanks for joining me on the register room thanks for having me need help managing your amateur sport organization but don't know where to turn look no further than capitis consulting your dependable partner to help you through the challenges and issues you routinely face in and around your sport boardroom. At Capitus Consulting, we're different. We've directly managed amateur sport organizations from community club to national governing body. We understand your side of the fence because we've been there ourselves. We know from experience what makes sport organizations successful and where they go wrong. Reach out to us today at capitusconsulting.ca and let's start building your sport business today.
3: Hey, amateur soccer club leaders, are you looking for a complete reference on how to run a great amateur soccer club, but all you can find are books on how to coach kids? Introducing Amazon's number one bestseller, Don't Blame Your Soccer Parents, your complete guide on how to run a successful amateur soccer club, covering everything from managing your boardroom to overseeing your director of coaching or raising corporate sponsorship. Based on real-world experiences, from internationally-renowned sports consultant and professional speaker Paul Barry, Don't play the Soccer Fans rolls its sleeves up and tackles all the hands-on club management issues you need to master. Governance, planning, staffing, volunteers, finance, technical oversight, marketing, evaluation, and more. You'll find it all in the most comprehensive soccer club management reference on the market today. Pick up your copy on the Amazon platform or at Don't BlameTheSoccerParents.com
0: today. Want to tell us what you think of the show and things we could do to make it better? Tell us now at comments at registraroom.com. And welcome back again. Two great case
1: studies there on how some sport organizations are tackling the challenge of volunteerism head-on, largely because they just don't have any choice. Common to both these interviews is the full understanding that the show doesn't go on without volunteers. And in that regard, they are as important as the soccer field, the ball, and the goals themselves. In the case of both Pemberton Youth Soccer and Canada Games, both at either end of the scale of volunteer programs, they are bound by an unspoken understanding that volunteerism is not just a priority, but part of the experience they offer. And one that should be resourced and prioritized as much as the sport programs or competitions themselves. How can some organizations attract thousands of volunteers while others struggle to attract a dozen? Well I'm convinced it comes down to the attitude and approach of the organisations seeking the volunteers. We simply can't keep complaining that no one is coming forward. Research shows that the main reason volunteers don't volunteer is because they're never asked in the first place. They aren't going to step up, folks. People are just too busy in their lives. We have to move to a more proactive approach to them. Inventive volunteer opportunities that fit what they are prepared to do, not the old model of what the soccer club needs and when. So as this podcast comes to a close, please take away these few important concluding points. Number one, volunteerism isn't going anywhere. In spite of growing professionalism in amateur soccer, we remain reliant on volunteers and likely always will. So we must find a way through this challenge. There is no alternative. Number two, volunteerism isn't a favour you're asking. It's an opportunity and should be a privilege. If you don't think this is the case, pony up to your volunteers and talk to them. Listen to their stories, especially those that have been doing it for a while and keep coming back. Use these stories and testimonials, which will no doubt be positive ones, in your outreach to new volunteers. Number three, deploy resources to volunteer recruitment and management. Yes, that means money and people. Yes, people aren't stepping up anymore. And guess what? Those who are will get fewer and fewer. So we have to work harder at this. I know it's a new cost and a new headache, but it's the most important resource in your club. So take a deep breath and accept it. Number four, finally, change up what you're asking volunteers to do. Target event-based opportunities that have limited time commitment, are fun and social, and also need a lot of volunteer manpower. Show volunteers that what they're doing is making a difference. The millennial generation in particular is very in touch with this, and knowing they're making a difference is a key value component in their volunteer experience. For example, are you running an annual volunteer appreciation event? that is the perfect opportunity to show them how much they've made a difference during the year. Friends, I know this is not easy. Volunteers are without doubt harder to find and require more attention than ever before. But I'll close by circling back on this crucial point. Volunteering is worthwhile, rewarding and fun. I know I've found it to be so myself personally. In the past few years, I've volunteered at a competitive diving meet, I've coached young kids soccer, And I've sat on the boards of both Kidsport Ontario and Kidsport Canada. Every minute of all of those varied volunteering experiences has been worthwhile. But I probably wouldn't have committed to any of them if I hadn't been asked. In each and every occasion, I was. And it was worth it, not just for them, but for me. My name is Paul Varian, and you're in the register room, where amateur soccer goes off-field. As always, it's been my pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for listening. And until the next time,
0: stay safe and stay well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Regista Room, where amateur soccer goes off field. Join us again for the next episode. Subscribe today at capituslearning.com or listen wherever you access your favorite podcasts.